0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Raina Meyer, and I have the privilege of serving this church uh, as one of its pastors. Guys, we are in a new series. Let me uh, let me share my screen with you. The series will be in the book of Ruth. Okay. Now, as a preaching team, we believe in a good diet when it comes to the word. And it was time for us to get our hands dirty and to really dive into one of the, the stories of the Bible. As you might know, the books of the Bible all have a different genre, right? So we have stories and we have Poetry and we have wisdom and we have letters and we have biographies, we have prophets, etc. Et All of the 66 books can be sorted into some sort of genre. And the bulk of it, obviously, is narratives, is stories. So we decided that it's time for us to get into a story. Now, stories are powerful because we resonate with story on a completely different level than we do necessarily necessarily with a letter or with wisdom one-liners, right? We see ourselves in the characters, we feel the tension, we see the plot line develop, we wonder what is going to happen next. And stories, whoever they are about and whenever they are written resonate with us, it's kind of universal, right? Because you can identify with different characters at different moments of the story at different points. Now, stories are also powerful, because it makes things that we often discuss really practical okay so over the last I mean how many series we've had as a church already uh, we've spoken about many topics we've spoken about values we've spoken about what we believe in we've spoken about what Jesus expects of us we've spoken about our calling etc now it's time for us to set these topics in a narrative form right to put them into a story or to mold them into a story. So think about topics like faith. Think about topics like loss. Think about topics like relationships and trust and God's provision amongst other things. When we read the story, we will see them in flesh and bone. Very, very practical. Here's my hope for you as we embark on this new journey in the book of Ruth. Um, Firstly, that we will appreciate the value of biblical stories, right? We oftentimes undervalue them for the propositional uh, sets of doctrine that we believe in, but stories are very powerful, so I hope that you appreciate them. If you're a Christian and you call call yourself a follower of Jesus, then uh, I would want us to be encouraged by another faithful servant's story as we read through it. I would want us to see faith in action. And as we see faith in action, I hope that we have a renewed sense of trust in God's providence and in his ways, even in the midst of death and emptiness and hard times. I'll get to the theme for today now. If you are watching this and you are not a believer in Jesus, um, my hope for you is that you would see that the stories of humans matter. And that God, the God we believe in, is involved in the very intricacies of human life, even in really, really hard circumstances. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that your story matters, and I want you to know that the God that we believe in is faithful, the God that we're going to read about in this story, and that he can be trusted. I also would love it at the end of this book, this is a spoiler alert, that you would marvel at the fact that the story of Jesus has such a long and epic history, but I'm going to refrain from chapter four today. The book of Ruth uh, comes to us in four acts, just to be more uh, relevant to our current context. Let's call it four episodes. Okay, so the book of Ruth comes to us in four episodes, and we have three scenes per episode. Each one of them. Maybe a good illustration for us is the TV show Survivor, right? This is the new season. It's called Survivor Immunity Island. I'm not going to give anything away. Don't worry about it. If you still have to watch it on catch up, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. So, every episode of Survivor, well, almost everyone, has a reward challenge, it's got an immunity challenge, and then it's got a tribal council. Okay, so just think about that. It's in one episode with three of these scenes uh, with the two challenges and then the tribal council. So Ruth works the same. Four episodes, four chapters, and three scenes per chapter or per episode. Okay. The theme for today is death and emptiness. Now, I know after all the excitement, up until this point, you might go, oh, it's kind of a flat wheel. I think I'm just going to be off, go and do the dishes. Oh, look, I've got a WhatsApp. Don't check out now. Don't check out now. It's the start of the story. But it starts with death and emptiness. And there's three scenes in this first chapter. Let me show that to you. It's verses one to six. Tells us where all of this happens. Scene two, verse 17 to 19a, it's about the journey back to Bethlehem. And then scene three is about what happens when our characters arrive back in Bethlehem. Okay, I've set the scene. Zita is also our herald today, the one who will read the scripture to us. So she's going to read Ruth chapter one from the message translation, the whole chapter. Because if we study a story, if we watch an episode of a series, we know that if we only watch it in snippets, we're not really going to be able to follow it. So before I ask her to read the story to us, let's open ourselves up to the scripture and let's pray together. Father God, we have heard now that you are faithful. We have heard that you can be trusted. We have uh, sung together what we believe. Uh, We confess that you are the king of our hearts. We know that the Bible speaks, and not only do we know that it speaks, we know that it also preaches to us. It transforms our lives. It changes our hearts. It quenches our thirst when we are thirsty. fills our stomachs when we are hungry. It has a way of speaking to us that never, ever, ever leaves us the way that we came into a worship service. And I pray this morning, as we read this old, old, old book about these really, really old characters, that it would speak to us in a fresh way um, and that we would hear with ears that are keen to hear. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Have your way in us as we read the scripture and we study it. We pray that in your name. Amen. Zita, you are welcome to read chapter one for us. Thank you so much for being keen to do it.
1: Thanks, Reno. Um, Let's everybody read from Ruth chapter one. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when judges led Israel. There was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in Judah left home to live in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. His sons were named Malon and Kilion, all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first wife was Opa and the second Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. But then the two brothers, Malon and Kilion, died. Now the woman was left with either, without either her young men or her husband. One day, she got herself together, she and her two daughters-in-law to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. She had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. So she started out from the place she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her and on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, go back, go home and live with your mothers and may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband." She kissed them and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm, go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters, on your way, please. I am too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there's still hope and this very night got a man and had sons, can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they were grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No, dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow. More bitter for me than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. Again, they cried openly. Orpa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. And so the two of them traveled together to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was soon buzzing. Is this really our Naomi after all this time? But she said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life and God brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one has ruined me. And so Naomi was back and Ruth, the foreigner with her, back from the country of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank
0: you so much, Zita. Uh, What a marvelous, marvelous chapter of scripture. So the people of God are in the promised land. They are divided in their tribes. Each tribe got a piece of land. And it's all about local government at this point in the history of Israel, right? Uh, God is the king. Uh, All the tribes are in their lands. And then we read the story of the judges, which was every time the people of God did not obey the law anymore. They did not do what God wanted them to do anymore. He raised up a judge. The judge restored justice and righteousness. Oh, here we go, floating back into a sermon two weeks ago. And then the people of God are living in the promised land again. And then we find this story, story of a famine and a story of these characters that we just read today. And this story, even though it's only four episodes, creates a unbelievably important bridge in the history of the Old Testament between the story of the judges and then the first Samuel book, which is all about Saul, the first king of Israel, and then the second king, David. Uh, But that's something that we'll get to later as we progress through the chapters. Now, I've already said that today's theme is quite a hard one, death and emptiness. And now we read the scripture full of pain, right? So it feels like something just at first value, at first read, that might be really heavy and that might feel a little bit discouraging and that might take us to a place that we didn't necessarily expect to be taken this morning. I want to show you a quote from uh, the great CS Lewis that just puts the importance of this topic into context for us. The quote goes, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm just going to leave the quote up there. If you want to either write it down, take a photo of it, or just read it again. It is important for us to talk about pain, especially today, because this chapter or this episode that we're watching of this awesome, awesome book is filled with it. Now, you might have heard that people say that without pain, we cannot live the human life. You may also be acquainted with the work of someone like Dr. Paul Brand, who has devoted his life as a Christian to work with people that suffer from leprosy. You might have read a book from Philip Yancey called Where's God When It Hurts, where he mentions the work of this Dr. Paul Brand. Here's what you need to know when we think about pain, physical pain, the condition of leprosy and what this doctor says. He says that because lepers cannot feel pain, they do irreparable damage to their bodies. And he says we often see pain as an as in, inhibitant, but actually pain is the thing that sets us free to live a life of freedom because pain stops us if we are on our way to hurt ourselves. So there is a space for us in the human experience and in our life of faith to talk about these things. And it's coming to us. It's just leaping at us in the pages of scripture today. So let's lean in. Secondly, I want to make a point off the bat that pain, understood and stewarded in a specific way, can be way more helpful than it can be harmful. right? We think of pain as harmful, something that we should avoid. I want to make the point today that if we steward pain well and we understand it in the right context, I'll get back to that later. pain can actually be helpful to us let me take another angle prosperity my dear brother and sister and friend watching this is a terrible teacher in times when everything is just awesome and going well and according to plan we often do not learn anything versus a time of death and a time of emptiness and a time of great pain can actually be a phenomenal teacher to us if we steward it well So that's the context for where we are headed today. Let's take each scene, scene one, two, and three. Let me make a few remarks to help us understand the text and the narrative a little bit better. And then we will land the plane all the way at the end of the chapter at the barley harvest then just skip the timing. Okay, so this is scene one. Uh, I had to highlight a few words for you just to make sure that we get a grip on the story. So Bethlehem is important. Uh, Machlon, uh, the uh, name of her one son is important. Ephratites, uh is important. Uh, died, died and left without them. Without is also a really important word. Okay, so let's just get back here. Oh, sorry. Let's just get back here. So Bethlehem. Bethlehem means Beit Lachem, the house of bread. And at this moment in the history of Israel, there is no food in the house of bread. That's where these people come from. Machlon is a name that describes something of the character of a son. In biblical times, when you named someone, you gave them a name that speaks of the person's character. It is still done in many cultures uh, today. It's not done in all cultures today, but it is still done in many cultures today. Um, but no name was ever chosen in vain in the Bible. Mahlon is a statement of character, and Mahlon means weak. It means sickly, right? So this should give us the first glimpse into the life of Naomi. As a mom, she watched her child struggle. Then she saw her child get married, and then she saw her child die. right? So let's just get a grip. On that, we'll get to the words died, died, and empty just now on the next slide. So this is where Naomi comes from, the house of bread, the place of abundance. She did have kids, but her experience with one of her kids was a really, really tough experience. Then we see the word Ephrathites, or Ephrathites if you want to. That speaks to the class of this family of people. In modern day uh, vocab, I would probably say they were from midstream. Right, if you are in the centurion area, or they were from Santon, if you are from the Madrand, Joburg, Fourways area. So they had it all. And now in one slide, we see that they have nothing. So that is a massive turnaround in the fortunes, not only of this family, but of this one person, this character that we're getting to know on the pages of chapter one, who is Naomi. Now she has death and emptiness. You guys see that? Died, died, and without. Now, specifically dropping the word emptiness in here, because in chapter four, we'll get back to fullness. But there's still a whole season that we have to watch through to get there. Here's what I want you to see from the story of Naomi. Someone who came from a place of abundance, the house of bread, who had it all, is the fact that pain does not discriminate. Pain is something that all of us go through. Pain is something that we all experience. This world that we live in, this fallen creation, is filled with pain. It is impossible to skip it or uh, to, to be able to exempt yourself from it. Now, what's important about Naomi's pain is we see that there's a purpose to her pain. And that purpose to her pain is she has to move, like literally move. She started in Bethlehem, went to the country of Moab. And now we see uh, here in verses six and seven, that she set out for home once again, because she heard there's something that happened at home that she can also benefit from. And that is the fact that God gave his people food. It's right in front of you on that slide. Okay, so that's Scene one. And we need to get a grip on these characters because as the story unfolds, we'll be able to identify with them, we'll be able to understand their struggles, and we'll also be able to understand the next few episodes coming. Second scene. And this is a longish scene, so I only chose one verse for us to look at, and that is this verse. Now I can't see my own underlining. Hang on a second here. Ah, she gave in. Okay, back on. Scene two is all about a broken woman speaking to her broken daughters in law. And you can just sit and read the scene and identify with this full well. Someone who's broken that says, I see no purpose. I don't want to continue. Why on earth should we keep on doing what we're doing? Why on earth should you even be with me? Why don't you rather choose something for yourself? Because I'm in the situation now and I can do nothing. uh, I, I can do nothing about it, right? You can just imagine that scene because we also go through those scenes. Someone saying that I'm broken, I don't understand it, I feel like pointing fingers, my life feels filled and full of doubt, I don't know why these things are happening to me, and then someone sitting with that person saying, I'm staying. And I'm not talking about the hashtag on the socials, hashtag I'm staying. I'm talking about a relational commitment. I'm talking about someone looking someone else in the eye saying, I will stay with you. We will struggle this through. We will cry this through. This is not the end. I will keep your arms strong when it needs to be done. Do not give up. Let's keep on moving. Let's work through this. Please, please, please do not give up. That's what we see. This is just my paraphrase of scene two. And not only do you see someone broken, wanting to give up, attributing all of this to the strong one, to God himself, right? Saying that he dealt her a heavy blow. Not only do we see someone not wanting to give up, wanting to stay and wanting to care, we also see someone saying, let's keep moving. Let's go. Let's not give up. I am with you. And then there's this moment she gave in. Okay, 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 okay. I don't know what her posture was. It might be that she felt I've got nothing to lose anyway because I've already lost everything. It might be that she had a glimmer of hope. We don't know yet, but it will come in the episodes to follow. So that seemed to. Let's have a look at scene three, because over here we're going to camp out a little bit. So scene three is all about the arrival back in Bethlehem, right? Now, all of these words that are underlined is important at this point. So you'll see the town was buzzing. There was an excitement. You'll see a name change from Naomi to Bitter. And you'll see this confession once again, or this understanding of her Current circumstances, it's God who did this to me. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. The strong one ruined me. And then this beautiful end that says this all happened at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we'll eventually land there. I'm just going to keep the slide on here for you so that you can see the scene play off in front of your eyes. So first thing, Naomi means pleasant, right? That was her character. She was known in Bethlehem as a friendly, buzzing, pleasant person. And now she's back. So why on earth would you not be excited about her being back? Guys, can you believe it? Like, we remember when they left and we missed her because she was really awesome. And now she's back. Yay. And then she says, I'm not pleasant anymore. Don't even call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because this is who I have become. My pain has not made me better. My pain has made me bitter. Do you see that? Now, that's something, if we just pause there for a second, all of us can identify with. Because what do I do if pain comes knocking on my door? What's the choice that I have before me? Well, we have a clue here. One of the choices is bitter. And that's what happened to Naomi. The other choice is bitter. And that's something that we are going to have to allow the story to show us what that looks like. And then Naomi says to all these people really excited to see her, God did this to me. Now, for me, as a Christian, as someone who believes in a loving, benevolent, gracious, giving, present faithful God, this is the hardest part of this first episode. Like if we just finished watching the episode and we would reflect on it of how it was for us, I would say, guys, I I can't get past that line that says that the strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. It's a hard one for us to accept. But please do remember that this is only the first episode of the story. And all of us know that the perspective with which we look at our pain is the perspective that determines the way we deal with it. So, Naomi's perspective at this point is a perspective that we often have. I had everything going for me and everything was taken away from me. So, I obviously did something wrong because look at me now, I am in ruins. It's a perspective we often hold to. That's a perspective that Naomi has. But all of us know that that's not always true. All of us know that a different perspective could be that there is a purpose to this, and that there's something else waiting, and that there's something coming up. The Apostle Paul speaks about his own pain at length in the book of 2 Corinthians. I worked through it uh, probably over the last three months in my own personal Bible study, and I was just I don't know, I I stood in awe, I was surprised, I was flabbergasted again at all the times that he speaks about his pain. And in 2 Corinthians 7, he says to the Corinthians, the the stuff that you guys are going through now and the stuff that I'm going through now, it might be painful, but it has pushed us towards God. It has brought us closer to him. And therefore we see a purpose to our pain. The story is told of a young boy wanting to... um, Uh, wanting to ask a question to one of the sages in his village, and he wants to trick him with the question. So what he did is he took a bird, a really small bird, and he put it in both of his hands, and he decided that he's going to go to the wise man, and he's going to ask him, is the bird in my hands alive, or is the bird in my hands dead? For if the sage says that the bird is alive, he's going to squash it and say, no, the bird is dead. And if the sage says that the bird is dead, he's going to open up his hands and he's going to let the bird fly. So there's no way that the sage could answer him rightly or with an answer uh, that, that would be the right answer. Story goes like this. The boy walked up to the sage, held the bird in his hands and said, is this bird in my hand alive? Or dead? And the wise man answered him and said, Neither the bird is in your hand. Just sit with that for a second. The bird is in your hand, and therefore you can choose whether the bird lives or whether the bird dies. It's the same with us, friends. It's the same with us. When we experience pain, when we experience death, when we experience emptiness, the bird is in our hand. We can decide what are we going to do with this? Are we going to walk through it? Are we going to count on God's promises? Are we going to experience joy in the midst of it? Are we going to trust God to restore life to us? Are we going to say that we trust that after the season we our lives will be filled with vigor and vitality again? What will we do with our Pain. What will we do with our death and our emptiness? If I can tell a quick story uh, just here, I, I was at a Christian conference two years ago, and at this Christian conference, as it often happens, we were divided into groups. And as it often happens, after the group was done speaking, there's little you know chats between the people in the group. And uh, one of the ladies in the group asked me about my kids, and I told them about my kids and the way that I interact with them. And then she said to me well, dude, I'm really surprised by the way that you interact with your kids. Like, where did you learn this? And I said, sit down a second. Let me tell you about my mom. And I told her about my mom. Told her about how my mom treats us, treated us. Told her about where my mom came from and how my mom grew up in really, really hard circumstances, right? And how she was uh, dealt several blows as a child and as an adult and uh, how that profoundly shaped my mom. And I remember that woman looking at me, saying to me, you know, Your mom's legacy will be this that you are doing with your kids now through you because of her pain, because of the way that my mom stewarded her pain, because of the way that my mom chose to deal with her pain. She ended that cycle and she's going to leave a great legacy of service and sacrifice and commitment, etc. etc. The way that she's treated us as kids her whole life. Once again, the bird is in your hand let's land with the last highlight and underline the beginning of the barley harvest so naomi and ruth pitches up in bethlehem and it's the beginning of the barley harvest now the barley harvest is a time of celebration. It's a time. Oops, I don't. I shouldn't have shown you this now. Sorry. Uh, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of fun. It's a time of joy. It's a time of abundance. It's a time that you can hear the people in town quite excited about everything that's happening. Here's what I want you to see. Naomi and Ruth is moving from one season to another right? They come from dry and parched land, and they are moving into a season of provision, celebration, joy, and abundance. And at this point, at the end of episode one, these two things are juxtaposed, that means put next to each other for us as readers, going, what? So there's always joy and celebration on this side, and there's always hurt and heartache on this side. What will they do? And what the writer is telling us, is that she's moving from one season to another. What the writer is telling us is that God is about to move in a major way. You guys know back to Survivor at the end of each episode, they have next time on Survivor. And then you look at those highlights and you go, my word, this wasn't the end of the story. There's more plot twists coming. There's more things that's going to happen. It's exactly the same in this story. We read a verse uh, or a psalm like Psalm 30 that says that sorrow only lasts for the night or weeping only lasts for the night but in the morning what comes in the morning joy that was one of my favorite worship songs back in the early 2000s trading my sorrows right I'm not going to sing it to you now but the chorus goes um though this oh, sorry not the chorus like the pre-chorus or the verse <laughs> Whichever one it is, it says, though my sorrows may last for the night, the joy comes in the morning. There's something that happens after pain, and we need to stay tuned to the story to see how God moves, to see what happens to these characters. The bird is in their hand. What will they do? Maybe another good example, and this will be my last one, is childbirth. I'm a man, right? I've never given birth to a child. Uh, My wife has, though, twice. So I've seen it happen twice. Here's the crazy thing about childbirth. Well, not the crazy thing. The real thing about childbirth is it is unbelievably painful and hurtful. But for some reason, women who had one sometimes would want another one. And you think about that logic. Okay, hang on a second. It was the most painful thing you ever went through. And now you want to do it again voluntarily. And the answer is yes. But that pain is only a really short, really, really short time. I know that I'm going to go through it. But on the other side of that pain is joy and joy and joy and joy. And therefore, I am willing to do it again, even though I know how excruciating it was. It should be the same for us. When we hit these seasons of death and emptiness, we should be willing to go through it because we know, as Christians, we know that on the other side of this lies provision and the barley feast. Look at uh, the writer of Hebrews reflecting on Jesus. And what Jesus went through, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, italics is my own, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary. Or faint hearted. Jesus being spat at, having thorns crushed into his head, being beaten, mocked, and scorned, having his beard plucked out, being stripped naked in front of everyone. Why did he go through all of that? Why did he voluntarily submit himself to it? Because he knew that after this pain will come something that is glorious and beautiful that has been promised to me. And it says that was his motivation. C.S. Lewis, in the beginning of this sermon, I uh, read the quote that says that God shouts to us in our pain. God is shouting at these two characters in their pain. And what we'll see from Naomi is a renewal of a faith. Don't check out of the story now. Don't feel as if you are in despair or empty yourself. Hang on, it's coming. Not only does God's shouting through our pain bring us to a renewal point, but in the character of Ruth, as the story goes on, we'll see that there's a newfound faith, right? She committed and said that your God is my God, but we'll see that she starts believing in this God as their fortunes turn around, as God moves and as God provides, both in their pain. Now, friends, that's the gospel right there. The incarnation of God, the moment that God decided to become a human himself, was a time of incredible pain and hardship in the lives of his people. We need to hear this. God's people went through 400 years of silence and of expectation that someone will save them. The world changed two or three or four times in those 400 years. Different powers were ruling them. Different powers were oppressing them. Their identity was busy fading as God's people. They were crying out to him to save us. They were in pain. And what does God do? God does not give them fire, even though that would have worked. He doesn't give them a cloud, even though that would have worked. He doesn't give them uh, uh, clouds of smoke or or, or tornado or a visible presence of his spirit, right? But that would have also worked. He doesn't give them uh, a word from the prophet that is spoken. He comes to them himself and looks them in the eyes and, as a way of speaking, shouts at them, says, look at me. I am loving. I am gracious. I am faithful. I am for everyone. I am willing to forgive. I have life and I want to give it to you. Anyone can come in. I am a good and gracious and benevolent father and I am the one that rules over everything. Look at me. In the gospel accounts, we see exactly the same happening as we see in the book of Ruth. We see some people renewing their faith, wondering if God was going to come through on his Messiah promise. And he did. Then we see other people in the gospels who were out, out far on the margins of society, who saw him and who had this newfound faith. Everyone in their own pain and in their own cries. That's the gospel. God speaks to us. He whispers at us. He shouts at us at some points. We see in the story that he shouts at us in our pain, and we see that it leads to renewal, that it even leads to newfound faith. And I just want to leave that day with you. Where do you land today? Where are you today when it comes to an experience of death and of emptiness? Where are you today? in terms of the characters that you identify with and the way that they think about their current pain. Because my dear brother and sister, if you need to renew your faith, then do it. Because we know that the sorrow will only last for the night. If you're watching this and you've never believed and you feel the prompt or the push to do it, do it. Because if you just read the story, you'll see that faithful God, who he was in the beginning of the story, is still the same one at the end of the story. And not only that, he uses the story of extreme pain to build a colossal bridge and actually the lineage of his first, well, of, of his second king and eventually of Jesus himself as king to us. Where do you land today? What are you going to do with death and emptiness? How shall we respond? The bird is in your hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be willing, like Naomi and Ruth, to enter the barley harvest. I pray that we would be willing to move if our pain is moving us. I pray that we would be willing to submit ourselves to the story. And I pray that we would find you in a very, very profound way if we are currently in a season like this. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Guide our conversations and breakouts now. May we stand in awe of your wonder, your glory, and this beautiful story. We pray that in your name. Amen.